Wasn't that fun? You enjoy that? Man, I enjoy our time of worship um, together. If you have a Bible, let's go to Acts 14. Acts 14. And uh, man, I love, I just love that set list. I even love He Loves Me. And just in case you're wondering, I am a man and I do love the sloppy wet kiss line. Um, Because uh, two things, two things about that. Two things about that. Let me say it. I'm going to move on. Um, uh, the Bible doesn't, I mean, um, that, that song doesn't say God's given us a sloppy wet kiss. It says when heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss. Um, second of all, uh, God is sovereign, and if he wants to scoop me up and give me a sloppy wet kiss, he can do it, and there's no, there isn't Jack, I, I, like you can't do Jack about it. Like what are you going to do? No, stay away from me. Um, he's, he's God, so he can do it if he wants. I, don't, I mean, he's God. He saved me. I mean, he can. Give me a sloppy wet kiss or a big fat kick. I don't care which one he gives me. Um, so, senior pastors, I want to talk to you today. And I want to set it up uh, by talking about a trip that I took with Karis, which, by the way, was the cutest thing I'd ever seen in my life when she was jumping up and down on stage today and trying to get on the screen. Um, I took her to the Greenville Zoo back uh, about seven or eight months ago. And we're kind of walking around the zoo. And, you know, as a dad, you're like, oh, there's the the elephant, and there's the giraffe, and there's the hippopotamus, and you're kind of walking around with my little girl. And we walked up into this playground area, and it was me and, and Karis, and there was like three other kids up there, and, and I think it was the grandmother, I'm not sure, maybe it's the mother, I think it was the grandmother. And we're kind of walking around, and I'm holding Karis' hand, and we're walking around, we're just kind of having fun, we're getting ready to leave the playground area. And as I'm walking out, literally, I'm not even making this up, a humongous rock hits me in the side of the head. It was like, BAM! And I was like, what? The? Like, I thought maybe a monkey had gotten loose and was like throwing rock. I mean, I didn't know, and I'm, I didn't know what was going on. So I turned and looked at my left, and there's this little kid. He's about this tall, and he's going. And he had that look on his face like, I just did that. And so I was like, what? Um, I didn't know what to do. And I looked at Karis, and Karis is looking at me like, what do you do? And I, I was like, because um, if it would have hit my daughter, I'm, I might have killed this kid. And so I'm kind of... And so I look over, and his grandmother's there, and I said, ma'am, I said, excuse me, ma'am, is this, is this child right here with you? And she said, yeah. And I was like, I just want you to know, he just hit me in the head with a rock. And this is the South. So she's like, boy, you get over here right now. And she wore his butt out. It was awesome. I mean, I, <laughs> when I was growing, I don't know, what, when I was growing up, people in the neighborhood that didn't even know you would spank you. It was crazy. <laughs> But we don't do that anymore. But this, this, and I was like, oh my gosh, that is amazing. Karis, look at that. Let's eat some popcorn. And after the, after, because I love a good beating, you know what I'm saying? So after, good, after, after the beating was over, some of you are like, I believe in time out. My dad did too. How much time did it take my butt to cool off after he had wore it out? That was time out. That's, anyway, so, so I told you I'm not going to get a parenting seminar anytime soon. We, we do spank our children and we throw them off of cliffs. So, we walked away from that, you know, and I'm, I'm like, I had this whelp come up on my head and stuff. And um, as we were going, as I was going to sleep that night, I was like, that's ministry. <laughs> like that every, every week, pastor, you get hit in the head with a rock. Sometimes the elders throw the rock. Sometimes the deacons throw the rock. Sometimes the staff members throw the rock. Sometimes the bloggers throw the rock. By the way, I want to say hey to you guys online right now. You're amazing. (laughs) 
If you'll send me your address, for many of you, I will send you a, subscri- a prescription for Viagra because obviously something is not happening in your life and you need some help. You have way too much time. Tweet that. Anyway... I'm not bitter. I love those guys. <laughs> Praying for many of them to get saved. Anyway, I, the, the rocks are going to come. I mean, they're, they're going to come. So what do, you, what do you do when they show up? If you're in ministry, they're going to show up. Now, now, normally in this session, I take a little time to talk to senior pastors. And, and I, a blogger took a shot at me last year going, well, you need to have a conference that ministers to everybody. Let me just say this, and I say this with no apologies. I think this does minister to everybody because I believe with all my heart, if your church does not have a healthy senior pastor, you don't have a healthy church. I really believe that with all my heart. If I could, if I could do anything in ministry other than what I do right now, and I love my job here at New Spring Church, but I would be an agent for pastors. I really would. Because I believe they're some of the most overworked, overabused, underpaid I got like two amens. Everybody else is scared because Judas is here with you, the treasurer. Remember that? (laughs) People on the planet. And so I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, listen, one of the best things a church can do is make sure their senior pastor is healthy. And so I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about that this afternoon. Now, some of you are going to get really mad, and it's because you're not the senior pastor. We'll talk about you just a little while. I'm glad you're here. Here we go. Acts chapter 14. Um, We're going to pick it up. uh, And and we could... The Apostle Paul had had an incredible ministry. I mean, I I would say everywhere he went, planting a church and everything. In Acts chapter 14, I'm just going to start reading verse um, 8. This is a great, great, great day in the ministry right here. Let's just start reading. In verse 8 of Acts chapter 14. In Lystra... There sat a man crippled in his feet, who was lame from birth and had never walked. So, you know, you got that going on. Verse 9. He listened to Paul as he was speaking, because Paul was a preacher, so he's, he's preaching. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had the faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. And at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Stop. That's a great day in the ministry. None of us have ever done that, I don't think. None of us have ever been on stage preaching going, you, get up in the name of Jesus, walk. And, and like that, it was like, bam, that's a good day. That's like, we're going to have days like that, guys. When we preach, and after we get done preaching, we want to spike our Bible. It was so good. We're like, oh, get some. Chest bumping the worship leader when we're going off the stage. Like pulling out of the church parking lot and they've already lined up and they're clapping for us and giving us high five. They got, they got signs made going, you are, you're awesome, pastor. We love you. You know, we come out and some men rip open their shirt and they've got our name shed. Okay, not, that, not really, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> there are days in the ministry where you get in a zone, you walk into a staff meeting, you go, here is the vision, and they go, yes. But then it gets a little crazy. Look at this, and, and I want to show you how quickly the crowd can change its mind. I had a great friend tell me this one time. He said, you got to be careful about the crowd because those that deify will crucify. 
Those that screamed, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord at the beginning of the week, shouted crucify him at the end of the week. You've got to be very careful about what the crowd says about you, whether good or bad. Because if you wrap yourself up in the opinion of men, you will be in a state of depression which you will never pull yourself out of. So anyway, let's keep reading. Verse 11. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, remember they're in a pagan city, they shouted in, in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Which, if I'm Paul, I'm a little bitter. I want to be Zeus. Zeus was the, I, I don't want to be Hermes, but anyway, I have no control over that. Verse 13, look at this. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. Now, this is the crowd going nuts over the pastor. Like, you're great. And they're like, he's like, I think you guys might have missed the point. This next verse. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul, now who, now who were there? Barnabas and Paul. But see, there were other people there with him because everywhere Paul went, he had like an entourage with him. He really did. He never traveled alone. There's Luke that's writing this, all kind of people with Paul. But it mentions Barnabas and Paul, which is really important. Um, when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We, too, are only men, human like you. So they admitted their humanity, which is one of the problems that a lot of pastors um, have is we won't admit our humanity. Um, We are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from the heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your heart with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. So Paul shows up. He heals a guy. People are coming out. They're going to bring bulls. They're going to sacrifice to him. He's trying to get control of the crowd. It's going completely nuts. And then... And you have, to read the, you have to read chapters 13 and 14 to really understand this. And m- m- most of us have. In fact, some of you haven't memorized, I'm sure. Verse 19 says this. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. Isn't it funny how in like 2,000 years of Christianity, not that much has changed? Like people will come seek you out to kill you? Look at this. Then some Jews from, came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul. Wait a minute, wasn't Barnabas with him? They didn't stone Barnabas, did they? They didn't stone Luke, who was writing this down. They didn't stone any of his traveling companions. They only stoned one guy. They stoned Paul, the leader, the main guy. That's the guy that got stoned. They stoned Paul, mentions no one else's name. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. Now, that would be a bad day in the ministry. <laughs> like, like, you've never had that day. Like, Jesus, his very first sermon, what'd they do? Remember in the book of Luke, they took him to the city cliff and was going to throw him off and kill him? You've never preached a sermon that bad, ever. There are days in the ministry that are just bad. Usually, every Sunday night, every pastor wants to quit. Every pastor wants to quit. So the Bible says they, they drug him outside of the city thinking he was dead. But the Bible says this in verse 20. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up. This is amazing. He got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. 
Now, I want to talk about three words that really stick out in this, in this passage, and then we're going to pray and do some other stuff. But um, there's three words that really, really, really jump off of this passage to me that I just want to share today and, and kind of help maybe churches and senior pastors. Um, number one is the word awareness, if you want to take notes. First word I want you to write down is the word awareness. And many times we make mistakes simply because we're very unaware. I'm very unaware of, um, even though I'm married a woman, I'm very unaware of how women think and operate. Like, I don't understand why you buy shoes that are not comfortable, and then you wear them, and you complain about how they're not comfortable. See, I'm, I'm not in that world. I'm very unaware of your language because you can have conversations without even saying words, and men are standing. And a woman can go, I was at the mm-hmm, and we went mm, and uh, mm-mm, and dang, and mm. See, every woman understood that right there. I got you. And, and so I, I, I don't understand. And, and in your language, like, I, I don't understand that. We don't understand certain things about certain people. We don't understand certain things about certain cultures. And I think one of the most misunderstood roles in the church is the one of the senior pastor. Because there are staff members here. And let me tell you, I'm talking about the senior pastor. And this is what you're thinking. I do as much as he does. I carry the same load that he carries. Why are you going to talk about him? You know what my prayer is for you? That one day you're a senior pastor. And God blesses you with a staff member like you. Then you'll see that you don't carry the same load. You have no idea what that man carries the heartache the vision the struggle and it's not it's it's not because you're trying to be mean it's simply because you're unaware let me ask you this question i'm gonna make it one more time who got stoned paul wasn't barnabas the associate pastor it wasn't the youth guy it wasn't the worship leader. They stoned, don't miss this, they stoned one guy, Paul. Let me promise you that if Satan, listen, when Satan wants to stop a movement, he always comes after the leader. In the garden, when they arrested Jesus, what happened to the other apostles? Let them go. We got the leader. Right here in this passage, they got the leader, and when they got the leader... They figured they had stopped the movement. Because you kill the leader, you can stop a movement. Now, pastors, I want to share with you three rocks under this point right here, awareness, that you've got to be aware of. Three rocks. The first rock is distraction. We've got to be aware that there are going to be distractions come our way. Pastor, you and I can never get distracted with any agenda other than Jesus. Now, I'm Baptist. I come from a Baptist background. Um, and, and the Baptists have an agenda other than Jesus about every two to three years. Now, don't get me wrong. My heart is built on nothing less than Lottie Moon and Broadman Press. I mean, I'm there. Some of you, you're Presbyterian. You didn't understand that, and that's fine. You were predestined before the foundations of the world not to understand that. That's cool. We'll go have a glass of wine after this conference, and it'll be great. So anyway... Baptist's like, I don't believe in wine. Yeah, but a lot of you believe in biscuits. Anyway, listen to me. Listen, listen, listen. 
I can say that because I like, I, I, I mean, I remember the whole video poker thing? In South Carolina several years ago, we fought video poker, which really did help the kingdom. Remember the Disney thing? That was awesome. Man, that, 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 that like blew the kingdom of God up, didn't it? Like Mickey got saved. I mean, he got, I mean, I mean we, we, we got mad at a non-Christian organization for acting like a non-Christian organization. Good gosh, if we'd clean up our own mess in our own churches and stop worrying about Disney, I think we could have a revival. <laughs> Several years ago, you remember, um, I, I'm, just, I'm just talking about my family. I can talk about my dysfunctional family. Um, everybody, they, started, uh, they started talking about how um, women need to submit to their husbands. Remember that? Several years ago, women need to submit to their husbands. Women need to submit to their husbands. I'm like, well, yeah, but if you weren't an insecure man and you were leading your family, you wouldn't even have to bring that up. Like, when you bring up the submission verse, dude, you're screwed. <laughs> Churches have agendas other than Jesus today. Let me just say this. This will, this will make a lot of friends. God's not green. Kermit's green. If you want to recycle, pr- listen, praise God. Praise God. I'm all for recycling. I'm all for the plastic. And the, and the, uh, just don't call it the gospel. Just don't say recycling equals salvation. And when your church is more passionate about plastic than people coming to Jesus, you've got a freaking problem. Don't get distracted. By false agendas. Pastor, don't get distracted by yourself. Come on now. I've been in some churches that have more pictures of the pastor than Jesus. Come on now, pastor. Do they really need to know who you are? Seriously, because they can believe in you and go to hell. I mean, seriously, you go to some, you go to some churches and the pastor's picture's everywhere. He's just smiling at you. Like you can't even go take a pee. You're in the urinal going, what? I don't, I'm, I'm violated right now. This is bad. Don't get distracted. You know what, pastors? Many times we get distracted by pride. Because I'll talk about critics in a minute, but, but sometimes we don't listen to our critics. We listen to people tell us how good we are. I was reading this verse the other day. I came across Genesis chapter 11, verse 30, that said this. Sarah was barren and had no children. Remember Abraham and Sarah? Sarah was barren and had no children. Sarah was barren and had no children. She had been barren for 90 years. When God was looking for somebody to use, he didn't pick somebody that was incredibly productive. He said, who can I use that when I pick her, everybody will know there is no way in the world that she did that on herself. That I'm going to produce something in her that's so supernatural that everybody will know it was me. There's Sarah. She's barren. She's been trying for 90 years to have a child and she can't. And now that she's in at the end of her rope and she's completely broken and she's completely desperate, I think I'll use her because I can get the most glory out of her. Pastor, let me tell you something. If God's using you, here's why. Because we were barren. 
We could produce nothing on our own. There was nothing good in us. Jesus saved us. He called us. He redeemed us. And the only way we can even get up on a stage and preach the gospel is because of his mercy. So don't you dare let yourself think that you're that good because you're that good. You're that good because he's that good. Don't allow the rock of distraction to come in. The second one is deception. We, we practice self-deception. Pastors, everybody thinks that we've already kind of slipped into a glorification state. Like the calling of ministry equals glorification. Like we don't even sleep. I was a youth pastor at a church one time, and I was at the church doing a research paper. I was there at midnight. The phone rang. I was like, hello? They were like, I need to speak to the pastor. I was like, he's not here. Well, where is he? I said, he's, he's, he's at home. He's not at church. I was like, no, man, we're Baptists. We're not Catholic. This isn't a monastery. This is a church. He does not live here. Well, what's his number? 8675309. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. Boy, there's an old school reference right there. You got that song in your head now, don't you? See, here's the thing, Pastor. Here's the thing. Let me tell you what some of you struggle with. You struggle with the deception of you got to do everything. You got to do everything. And you'll hear pastors, I hear pastors say this I work 75 hours a week. Well, that's because you're stupid. <laughs> really? You just confess stupid. Thank you. You just wear a shirt that says, Here, I mean, I'm stupid. Because most pastors will work that many hours every week because they feel guilty and they feel like they have to, not because they want to. I went to a counselor this October. He said this statement to me, and it was so huge. Listen, pastor. The Bible calls those who will not work lazy. The Bible calls those who will not rest disobedient. The Ten Commandments, what's the longest command that God spends the most time on? The one that says to rest. So, Pastor, don't think you've got to do everything because let me promise you something about your staff right now. Your staff is begging God, please let him hear this because he needs to stop that. Like, like you're, you're doing something that you're not good at and your entire staff is begging God that you'll stop it. And you'll go back next week and you'll walk in and announce to your staff, I'm not good at this. And they're not going to go, really? We had no idea. They're begging God that you will stop doing this. There's some things, like I don't organize things well. Like people go, man, you did a great job at Unleash. I showed up late this morning and I'm preaching and I'm going to go home. I had no idea about the, the tents out in the parking lot and the breakouts and all that. I had no, if, if I showed up and announced to the staff, next year I'm organizing Unleash, there would be suicides, people would be jumping out of windows, laying down in front of cars. It would be carnage in the streets. We allow ourselves to become... Deceived. Let me ask you something, Pastor. How's your wife? The second most abused person in the church is the pastor's wife. You understand that, don't you? Because everybody thinks they get a two-for-one deal. Like when they hire you, they hire her, and she's going to lead the children's choir, play the piano, and lead the WMU. (laughs) 
Then people show up and they ask about Lucretia, my wife. Are you at church all day? And she goes, no, I come to one service. People ask me before, your wife comes to one service? Yeah. Why don't she come to all the services? I'm like, why don't you? I'm just glad she shows up to one. Pastor, you understand it's your job to love your wife like Christ loved the church. He don't need you to love his bride. He needs you to love yours. That means your wife, you've got to understand, she will never be impressed with you, Pastor. Never. Listen, listen to me. Listen to me right now. She has seen you naked. <laughs> There's nothing about you that will ever impress her again. <laughs> ever. It's over. Like, you show up, I'm the pastor. She's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> it ain't all that. <clears throat> like, seriously. You have a date night? I mean, I'm, I'm talking about a date night, like with no kids date night. Not a double date night. That, that ended in middle school. Your mom will drive, my mom will pick up. See, you don't do that anymore, right? That's weird. You're 40. You do date night? I'm talking date night without the cell phone, Pastor. Oh, 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 we hit something there, didn't we? Listen, listen, listen. Some of you guys, some of you guys, you think you're freaking Batman. Because you have a utility belt with all your gadgets. You have your phone and you're like... <laughs> And your wife is sitting across the table from you, and you're twittering about your date with your wife. <laughs> so the one that you're supposed to be focused on is sitting across the table, and you're not focused on her. You're twittering. You're texting. I'm with my wife. Yeah, she's not impressed that you, like, how many people follow you on Twitter? When's the last time? Listen, going to a nice restaurant and talking, well, what if somebody needs me? Listen, if the world can't survive without you for an hour, this world is screwed. <laughs> if your church can't survive without you for an hour, your church has humongous problems. Date your wife because when the church turns its back on you one day, you're going to need her. And you protect her. I've told the church before, I, t I say it about once a year, she's, she's my wife, she's not your wife. What ministry does she have in the church? She, she has the ministry of Perry. She can do things for me, can't none of y'all do. And that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> Don't be deceived. I've heard pastors say this. I'm going to pour into the church and God will supernaturally make it up to my family. You're an idiot. You're a moron. What about your kids? Well, I mean, what about your kids? I know one pastor that his kids misbehaved. You ask the kid, why do you misbehave? They said, because it's the only time my dad will pay any attention to me. 
Some pastors spend all their time going to other kids' basketball games and miss their own kids' basketball games. You got to quit that. Your kids. That's your... Listen, here's the job. It's not the church's job to raise up disciples. It's the parent's job. I say if fathers would stop disciple, or if fathers would actually start discipling their children, you wouldn't have a bunch of college age guys running around looking for a mentor because their daddy would be their mentor. I, I'm at this thing now. I'm just gonna be honest with you. I haven't even talked to my church about this yet. I'm at this thing now where Karis is two and a half years old, and here, recently, the past five times we've gone out to breakfast, four times. There have been people come up, and I don't mind people talking to me, but the past few times there have been people come up and sit down at the table going, I'm glad I saw you. I've been wanting to say something to you. I've been wanting to talk to you about some things. I've got this ministry opportunity. And just the other week, I was talking to Clayton, my accountability partner. I said, you know what I'm going to have to start doing? I'm going to have to start looking at people in the eye and go, I'm glad you want to talk to me, and I'm so glad you come to our church. But here's the deal. I'm on a date with my daughter, and so we're going to spend some time together today, and I don't really have time to talk to you. Some of you would push back and say, that person's going to think you're a jerk. Yeah, either they're going to think I'm a jerk or my daughter's going to think I'm a jerk. I would rather sacrifice their opinion than hers. <laughs> Pastor, let me tell you something about your marriage. Your marriage is the most important marriage in the church. You've got to keep it strong. You've got to keep it strong. The third rock that you've got to be aware of is discouragement. Discouragement. Isn't it funny how you can preach the best message on the planet and that person will always find you after the service? (laughs) Here's the thing I've learned about church services. When you're done, the normal people go home. Can I say that? I mean, we're we're a church, right? I mean, this is a church conference. We're supposed to be normal. I mean, we're supposed to be honest. Normal people go home. The discouragement, and here, here's, the thing, here's the thing that blows my mind. It's when they come up and say this, <clears throat> Pastor, don't take this personal. <laughs> you know what that's like? If you're a dude, you understand this. This is like a dude walking up and kicking him in the nuts <laughs> and saying, no, don't let that hurt. <laughs> like, I just mentioned it, and dudes went, oh, oh, see? <laughs> Criticism hurts. It doesn't matter if it comes from some random blogger, somebody coming after you on Twitter. By the way, with Twitter, a coward is born every five seconds. You understand that, don't you? Somebody coming after you, criticism hurts. And I didn't realize this. I always thought I was being a little oversensitive to it until I was talking to a guy that I met in Kenya last year named Samson. I think I mentioned him at last year's conference. We were talking. He always smiled. He smiled the whole time. He never stopped smiling. He was smiling. We were talking about the gospel and he's talking about preaching all over the world and I was like have you ever been persecuted he went oh yes I've been persecuted many times I was like what kind of persecution have you had he goes oh in Saudi Arabia they get me and they drill holes through my legs and they hang me upside down and beat me and try to get me to renounce Jesus he's he's smiling I'm like stop smiling and he just stares at me and I went I had this blogger one time He came after me pretty hard. <laughs> and then I'll never forget, Samson looked at me and said, Ah, yes, in America, 
the emotional criticism that a pastor undergoes can be just as bad as the pain, as, just as bad as the physical criticism and physical torture that other pastors go through all across the world. It hurts. And that's, that was him. This is the guy that had the holes drilled in his legs. Pastor, let me just say this to encourage you. Listen to your coaches, not your critics. I've heard some people say, well, you need to listen to your critics. Well, there's so many of them now with the Internet that if you try to listen to all your critics, you will lose your flipping mind. Listen to your coaches, not your critics. Because, listen, no great player, let's think about football. No great football player ever became great because they stopped playing to listen to the fat guy in the stands with a hot dog tell them how to play a game because he plays PlayStation. You know how the great players become great players? They listen to their coaches. And they listen to other players in the game that have gotten dirty and have gotten bloody and have gotten sweaty and know what it's like to pay the price. That's who you listen to. Listen, there are people that that go online and review people's sermons. So they're reviewing my sermons. You know why they have the time? You know why they review your sermons? They don't have the balls to preach one of their own. Anybody can review it. Anybody can tell a coach what he should have done on Monday after the game on Sunday. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to do that. Pastor, surround yourself with some godly men and women that will speak truth into your life, who love Jesus, love the church, and love you in that order, and play the game to win and let the people in the stands watch and tell them to either get your butt out of the stand on the field or stay in the stand one way or another. Shut your mouth and let's get in the game. First word was awareness. The second word is unity. Unity. We did a series one time called I Hate My Marriage. It was awesome. We got billboards everywhere, all over Anderson. that said, I hate my marriage.com. That was the billboard. That's all it said. And, um, and we got news coverage out of it, and it was, it was great. I hate my marriage.com. I hate my marriage.com. And, and so what was really funny is I worked with a publicist in Texas, and we kind of talked back and forth. And I told him our idea. He said, man, that is a great idea. And he's sitting next to a computer, and he's got a piece of paper, and he literally wrote on a piece of paper. He said, I'm going to look at that later. He wrote on the piece of paper, I hate my marriage. Got up the next morning, went to work. His wife comes and sits down at the computer. Looks to her right and sees in his handwriting, I hate my marriage. He said, he, he called me, he said, I got to, he said, I showed up at 5 o'clock. And I walked in and she had that look on her face. Like whelps under her eyes, she'd been crying all day. And he, like, if you're a dude, you just automatically start apologizing. Even if it's not your fault, <laughs> you just apologize because when a woman cries, you don't know if she's crying because Oprah just did something touching or because somebody died. You have no idea. And so, so he walks in, and she's crying, and he was like, I'm sorry. what I do? And she's like, you hate our marriage. He was like, no, I don't. And she said, you do? Because you wrote it next to the computer. He went, oh, yeah, that was awesome, wasn't it? All day long, she had planned pretty much the divorce because of, because of a huge misunderstanding that had been written on a piece of paper. I think there's huge misunderstandings going on in the church between a pastor and his staff. 
Now, every one of you are going, especially if you've been to Unleashed, Perry, you're going to tell the staff to rally around the pastor right here. No, I'm going to wait till later. Right now, I'm going to tell the pastors to be a man worth rallying around. See, the thing about the Apostle Paul in this passage is people knew where he stood, and they rallied around him. Not because of his position, but because of the person that he was. So let me just share some things with you really quick. If you want to be a pastor worth rallying around, these are several things you can write down. The first one is lead with integrity. Like, lead with integrity. Like, don't be the typical pastor. I remember, you remember pastors that had pastor voice? Like, I remember going to see a preacher one time. I never, I was a young Christian, he was on stage. He's like, young people, I want you to hear something today. Sin is not fun. I was like, you're not doing it right, bro. unchurched, all right, unchurched background. But I remember leaving going, that dude does not talk that way. He didn't go home and go, honey, would you bring me a glass of milk? (laughs) And a fudge round to go with it. (laughs) Like, that is so fake. Like, be who God called you to be. Lead with integrity. Don't lead with guilt or intimidation. Like, this this is some pastor's conversation. Come in, sit down. You like your job? I like my job. You like your job? Let me outline for you what you're going to do. Or guilt. Hey, we're going to do this. It's going to be a lot of work. Yeah, it is. You love Jesus? I love Jesus. If you love Jesus, you'll get it done. Lead with integrity. That means, Pastor, you've got to be real. You've got to be solid. You've got to be, let me just say this, you've got to be sexually pure. For two years in a row, I've had a friend sit in this auditorium that after this conference, within the next six months, he had committed adultery and that person's not here. A lot of pastors have the problem. They got one hand on the money and one hand on the secretary. Pastors, God has called us to lead the way in sexual purity. Lead the way. There are churches in America today that people know the pastor's having an affair and they protect him. May the wrath of God fall on that church and the people that allow the pastor to continue in known sin. Okay, we'll move on to something a little lighter. Um, <laughs> lead with integrity, get big vision from God. The reason a lot of pastors can't attract great leaders is they don't have great vision. You want great vision? Or you want great leaders? Have great vision. People go, how do, you, how do you get the lead? I mean, we got like Howard Frist, our Greenville campus pastor. He, went, he owned a business. He, had, he owned a business. And I took him to lunch. I was like, Howard, you need to come on staff with us and be our Greenville campus pastor. Business owner. He was like, well, you know, Perry, just had the biggest year in business I've ever had. We just made more money than we've ever made. It was the most productive year we've ever had in business. And maybe God wants me to be in this business to make a lot of money to give to the church. I said, you know what, Howard, it's really funny. I was reading the Bible this morning. (laughs) Peter and James and John had just had their biggest catch of fish ever. And Jesus said, follow me. And they laid down their nets after the most productive catch ever, and they followed Jesus. So here's what I'm going to pray, Howard, for you. I'm going to pray you don't sleep until you lay down your nets. He didn't sleep for three nights. (laughs) Paul Marshall, our CFO. He was a business owner. He owned like 35 convenience stores. I took him to dinner. 
I said, let me ask you a question. I need you to come on staff. He's like, I don't know. I don't know. I was like, all right, let me ask you a question. You own convenience stores, so do you really want to sell beer, cigarettes, and condoms for the rest of your life, or do you want to come and do something for the kingdom? <laughs> He's on staff. <laughs> Sold out. Love it. Lead with integrity. Get big vision from God. Number three, listen to your staff. Listen to your staff. The reason that we're so effective as a church is because I just listen to my staff. Here's a great question, Pastor, for you to ask your staff when they come to you with a problem. Write this down. This will change your ministry. What do you think? Because your leaders will already have a solution. And your robots, they'll wait on you to tell them what to do. Now, if you want robots, that's good. I, I, love, I, I ask that question all the time. What do you think? Well, I think we ought to do this. Man, that's great. Go do that. They go do it, and I get credit for it. It's unbelievable. <laughs> People are like, you've got a great children's ministry. Yeah, I don't really have a clue about our children's ministry. I just know we have a great leader, Sherry Duffy and that whole crew that leads our children's ministry on every campus. They're doing unbelievable jobs. I stay out of their way. Our youth ministry? <laughs> I, I, don't have, I don't know. I don't have a clue what they're doing. I'll show up. I don't understand anything. Pastors, let me tell you something. The reason some of your youth ministries aren't growing is because you're involved. I was a youth pastor 20 years ago. Yeah, but see, here's the, here's the deal. DC Talk and Carmen and Eddie DeGarmo aren't cool anymore. <laughs> Gonna get us some Carmen up in this church. He's my favorite Christian talker. In the vast expanse of a timeless play. I mean, anyway, we could go. I did youth ministry. Listen to them. Let them go. If they don't, listen. Pastor, let me, let me say this about youth and children's ministry real quick. Your job is to make sure they're funded and stay out of their way. As long as they're not compromising the gospel, shut up and let them go. Make sure they're funded. Stay out of the way. A youth group or a children's group should never have to do a car wash to do something or sell T-shirts or brownies or cookies or bake sales. The senior adults don't have to. Like if they want to go quilting or apple picking. You don't see the senior adults out in front of Walmart with brownies. So we built this building over here for our students. We're like, that'll be fine, man. They're good for a while. And we hired a great youth pastor, Brad Cooper, and he preaches the gospel. People say, you can't, you can't preach the gospel to kids anymore. He just did a series not too long ago called The Blood and preached about the blood of Jesus for like six weeks and kids got saved and lives got changed. I, it really does still work. I mean, if you want to be a youth pastor and be effective, you've got to quit playing the fart game and tell them about Jesus. So Brad, we, they, they filled up the building. Like we'd been in there two weeks and we're over capacity. I'm like, what the? God? Oh my gosh. So Brad has this great idea. He's like, um, we're going to do middle school on Wednesday nights and high school on Friday nights. 
And they brought it to me, and I'm like, that'll never work. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I mean, that's stupid. Friday night, Friday night, and I had 17 reasons why Friday night would not work. I was like, Friday night, I told the whole senior management team. We're like, is that dumb? Do you think that's dumb? I think that's dumb. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Bring Brad in here. Let's tell him how dumb this idea is. Brad came in and sat down with us, and I said, Brad, I said, share with me why you would like to go on Friday nights. Brad took 10 minutes and shared his vision. I went, you know what? I'm going to give this guy a shot. He shared his vision with me. My heart was moved. I said, you know what, Brad, I don't think Friday nights will work. He's like, didn't you start a Bible study one time on Wednesday nights and somebody told you it wouldn't work? I'm like, why you got to use my history against me? <laughs> and it was very respectful. It was very respectful. It was very respectful. I said, all right, Brad, you got Friday nights. You try Friday nights, make it work for high school students. He left the room. I was like, does anybody think that's going to work? <laughs> I was like, I don't think it's going to work. You know what? It works. You got to get out of their way and let them do ministry. Like, seriously, our graphics guys, our artsy guys, our computer guys, I don't know anything about what they do. I just make sure they're resourced. I cast vision, and I let them go. People will follow a leader like that. A um, couple more things. Um, keep short accounts. Like if you're mad at somebody, don't be mad at them for more than like... I, doesn't the Bible say don't let the sun go down on your anger or something like that? Yeah, Ephesians 4. Because here's what's going to happen. You'll get mad at somebody and you'll get mad and it'll build and it'll build and it'll build and it'll build. And one day they, they, they like do something and you just blow up on them. And they're like, what the crap just happened to you? Keep short accounts. Uh, the next one's make expectations clear. Because you cannot hold a staff member accountable for unspoken, unrealistic expectations. We do not believe in ESP around here. They cannot read anyone's mind. If you do not speak the expectation and make it clear, you cannot hold them accountable. Maybe their biggest frustration, maybe your biggest frustration isn't them, it's your inability to declare a simple vision. Make it clear. And the last one, um, honor their time. We work about four or five weeks ahead around here, and here's why. I don't have a staff that serves me. I have a staff that serves with me. If you'll honor their time, they will make sure the job gets done. That's why we shut down the office. Nobody works on Fridays here. We work Monday through Thursday. I want my staff to have a weekend. Everybody gets Friday and Saturday off. What if there's an emergency on Friday? What if there's an emergency on Tuesday at 1 a.m.? We can what if that thing all day long. I want my staff to come into Sunday rested so we honor their time. They get a weekend. I've heard pastors say, well, our staff works 40 hours during the week and on Sundays we're volunteers. No, you're not because if something goes wrong, it's your butt on the line. You're not a volunteer, you're a staff member. Number three, passion, and this is the last one. You ever heard somebody say something stupid? I listen to you all session. Anyway, I we we had this we had this thing in the church where when a when we were younger, when somebody showed up that was an adult and not a college student and could potentially tithe, we would take them to lunch. Like somebody would come up and go, I think we got a tither. Some of you are like, I shouldn't do that. You've never planted a church. 
And so this one couple came, and they, they, they came to church, and we were like, well, let's take them out to lunch. And so there's this really cheap pizza buffet place, and that's where we took them because we didn't have any money. So we just took them to this pizza buffet place. And I never will forget sitting at this table. And, and we're kind of sitting there, and it's myself, and it's Lucretia, and um, it's Jason Moorhead. He's on staff here, and his wife, Sherry's over the volunteers, um, and Jason's over the conferences and stuff, and it's them. And they got their little one-year-old, one-and-a-half-year-old daughter named Jordan. She's so cute. And, and so she was just there. She's older now. Um, and, and so we went and got pizza and we brought it back and we slid the pizza in front of her and we're all at the table and it's dead silent and she's looking at the pizza and she's kind of salivating a little bit she's kind of salivating and I went hey Jason look at your daughter she's looking at the pizza and salivating he went yeah kind of like Pap Schmear's dog I went, I don't think he had a dog. I, I, like I looked at him because there's these visitors in the church and I went, what did you say? And he said, did I say Pap Shamir's dog? And I went, did you mean Pavlov's dog? A couple left our church. But the... Uh, I remember thinking, how could you be so careless with those words? We say things sometimes. We, we get so caught up in the moment, we just say things. Here's something that pastors say. They get caught up in the moment, and they'll say this. Every pastor said this. This is, this is the easy way out. Pastor, how long are you, you going to be at this church? I'm here until God moves me somewhere else. That's a ridiculous statement. I've noticed... The average stay for a pastor in the Southern Baptist Convention, I think, is 22 months. I notice God always calls somebody else when the salary package is bigger and the church is bigger, too. You ever notice that? I think one of the reasons that churches are so unhealthy today is because there's very few men of God that are willing to stand and take the rocks when they're thrown. I I want you to notice the passion. Here's what's so cool. The Bible says this in Acts chapter 14, verse 19. Then some Jews, let's read back over it again. Then some Jews from Antioch and Iconium won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. Like I said, that's a bad day in ministry. Don't miss this. But after the disciples had gathered around him, Notice something, Paul got, dr- Paul got stoned and drug outside the city. And the Bible says the disciples, a.k.a. the staff, the Bible didn't say, they were like, well, now that he's down, I got some rocks. I mean, I remember that time, you just budget thing, cut my budget, <laughs> Paul. Children's team over there going, you're supposed to preach for 45 minutes, preach for an hour last Sunday. <laughs> end on time you know the reason a lot of pastors have problems in the churches that they're in let's just be honest is because when they walk into their office building with their staff members they have to walk through a barrage of rocks before they even get to their own office it's insane the way some staff members will attack their pastor if you can't support his vision get off the team 
Well, he's disobeying God. You know what? God will cut him down. God knows how to handle his man, and he will in his time, and it will be unmistakable. And you will, listen, you'll know. But I love the fact that the Bible says, but after the disciples had gathered around him. In other words, Paul was stoned, he's laying out dead, and here's the staff. They're not going to do that to my pastor. The Bible says the staff, they go and they've got Paul on the ground, unconscious. Some scholars would argue that he was dead. And the Bible says they gathered around him. Don't miss this. After they had gathered around him, he got up. When a man of God will get a staff and a group of volunteers to gather around him, he can get up from any rock that the enemy throws at him. Any rock. All he needs is somebody to gather around him saying, I got your back. Not only did he get up, but look at this, Pastor, because some of you are considering quitting. He got up, don't miss this, and went back into the city. He got up and walked back to the place where he was stoned. He got up and walked back and faced the crowd that tried to kill him. And what motivated him? What got him up? I believe because when Paul got up, there was Barnabas and there was Timothy and there were all the other people. And they were like, Paul, we got your back. And when somebody will get the pastor's back, he will walk back into the church that threw the rocks that tried to stone him. And he'll say, is that the best you got? You're going to have to do better than that because all hell can break loose. And you're not going to run this guy off. If a staff will rally around the pastor, I don't care who you got throwing rocks in your church. They're no match for a staff that's unified, standing together, going, you're going to have to come a lot stronger than that because we're not going anywhere. It's his church. He called us here. And if we're ever moved, he's going to have to rapture us out. We're standing here and we will not be moved. Pastor, let me ask you a question. Who you got standing around you? Who you got standing around you? You can tell how godly a man is by the amount of pain that he's willing to endure. Pastor, we got to play hurt sometimes. But staff, listen to me. You got to rally around that man because you don't know the way he cares. I want every senior pastor right now to stand up. And if your wife's with you, you stand up. You stand up with her. Men, stay standing. I'm going to tell you something about you. Your best days are ahead of you.
your best days are ahead of you. I remember we had a staff meeting one time, and I was going through one of those days. You ever had one of those days as a pastor where you just, you just feel like nobody loves you? you know, we all have those. They're called Mondays. forget I was I was just sharing with the staff and I just said there are some days that I wonder if this all fell apart and we didn't have this building and we didn't have salaries and we didn't have budgets and we didn't have resources and we didn't have stuff there are just some days I wonder who would still be here I was just speaking my heart I wasn't being mean or anything I just said that we prayed together as a staff it was real cool and I went back to my office all, all day long, I got emails from my staff going, if it all fell apart, I'd start over with you tomorrow. If it all fell apart, I'd start over with you tomorrow. If it all fell apart, I'd start over with you tomorrow. And by the end of the day, I was ready to charge hell with a water pistol. Because I had a staff that was ready to go to war with me. Here's what we're going to do. Senior pastors, I want you to remain standing. Because I want to do something for you that we do every year at Unleash. And we're going to do this every year from now on as long as we do this conference. I want to honor you right now by getting that many of you brought staff members with you. In just a second, I'm going to pray. And when I begin to pray, if you're, if you're pastor standing... I want you to stand with him. I want you to put your hands on him. I want you to lift him up. I want you to pray for him. Some of you need to whisper in your pastor's ear before this day is over if it all fell apart. And if it all fell apart today, I'd start over with you tomorrow. Pastor, I got your back. Pastor, I love you. Pastor, thank you for what you do for this church. Pastor, thank you for the load that you're willing to carry. Pastor, thank you. For the job that you do. Some pastors, you're here by yourself. So New Spring staff, New Spring volunteers, I'm good. I want you praying for these pastors. I want you praying for these men. I'm in a healthy place. Some of these men need our prayers. So let's pray. Pastors, you remain standing. Father, Right now, in the name of Jesus, I just ask that you would do something great among us. There are some men standing in this room that want to quit, that want to give up. God, there's men in this room that don't know if the staff loves them or not. There's men in this room that don't know who's got their back and who's throwing rocks. So, Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would bring unity and healing to staffs that are standing right now. And, Father, that men of God would be encouraged to go at least one more round. God, there are some pastors here that feel dead. 
And Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that it would be a time where the disciples, like they gathered around Paul, would gather around their pastor and he would be focused and energized and he would walk back into the situation that has him wanting to walk away from ministry. God, we don't need another pastor to drop out. We don't need another pastor to go and start selling cars or insurance. We need pastors to preach the word of God. And so, Father, I pray right now that you would strongly encourage these men to stay in the game. And in turn, every pastor would be willing to look at their staff in the eye and say, I will be a leader worth following. I will have integrity. I will stand on the word of God. I will do what, you have, what he has called me to do. I will lead this church. And if people leave, people leave. But I will not cower to the opinions of men. I will lead this church like God tells us to lead this church. I will honor your time. I will take care of you, Father. I pray for complete unity here right now. Over the next few minutes, if you're here, just, just pray for that man. And just lift him up. Let him know, I got your back. Some of you are like, he should just know. He doesn't. Thank you, Jesus, that you are great and glorious. Father, I God, I just pray for the health one more time of these great men of God that are standing. God, that you would give us the courage to be pure. You would give us the courage to not be normal. You would give us the courage to be different. You would give us the courage to lead. You would give us the courage to keep our eyes on you. Because, Jesus, we need healthy churches. Because in healthy churches, people come to know Christ. Lives get changed. The excluded get included. Addicts get set free. People get healed. And God, you get the glory for it all.
you get the glory for it all. Father, I'm reminded in the book of Revelation that the angels gathered around the throne and they sang, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And Father, that is my prayer right now that we would be the kind of men of God that would lead people to you, Jesus, that would point people to you. Father, that you would raise up the dead and bring people back to life so that our churches can be brought back to life. Jesus, may we get a clearer picture of you as we sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. May we get a clear picture of you. And we ask this in the name of Jesus.